Bullseye with Jesse Thorne is a production of MaximumFun.org and is distributed by NPR. It's Bullseye. I'm Jesse Thorne. Look, if you're not from New York, but you have any kind of idea what a chopped cheese sandwich is, I'm willing to bet you can thank two people for that. Desus Nice and the Kid Mara. They're natives of the Bronx. They started first as podcast hosts with their show, The Bodega Boys. It's a fast-paced, chaotic, and very funny show where two best friends just kind of shoot the They'll talk about news, music, or how former NBA great Derek Fisher looks like a Verizon store manager. In 2017, they got their own TV show on Vice. In 2019, they moved over to Showtime. And since then, they have become a pretty big deal. Here's just a partial list of their guests. Ludacris, Glenn Close, Bernie Sanders, Eddie Murphy, Barack Obama, and recently, one Yo-Yo Ma who was kind enough to play them the cello line from the song Rough Riders Anthem. I thought we were in Boston. We ain't ain't Yonkers. Y-O, baby. Home of the brave. Yo, yo. That's how yo, yo, my roll. Right there. Right to self. Right to self. Anyway, when we had Desus and Mero on the show in 2017, we found the perfect person to interview them, Brooklyn native, and public media legend Ray Suarez. Let's listen. Thesis and Marrow, welcome to Bullseye. Hey! Thanks for having us. Thanks for having us, buddy. We're here. <laughs> the show has been on for not that long, right? Still pretty new. 61 yeah. episodes. 61 episodes. Just wrap 61 today. Mm-hmm. You know? Still new, still fun to do, still pretty fresh. Yeah. Four nights a week, it's tough. I, You know... Yes, the world keeps throwing up new things to talk about, but you got to churn it out day after day. As, yeah. as it, but you know what? We've both had much worse jobs. Yeah. So when people are like, it's tough, I just remember when I used to have to collect dead rats for a living at a Bronx mechanic. Yeah. And I say, you know what? This is actually not that bad. Yeah. Well, yeah, if you set the bar there, yes. yeah, you're probably right. Yeah. <laughs> like any superheroes, you guys need an origin story. What's yours? <laughs> Summer school in the Bronx, man. Do we briefly cross paths and then like the internet does it brings you back together years later and we kind of like reconnected on twitter and then through talking we realized that we actually knew each other think of it as a brokeback mountain bronx high school edition but with the less sex yeah but basically when we first met in like summer school we did not know we'd ever like cross cross paths again let alone be on tv but we just took a we ran to different circles and we knew of each other i was like oh there's that guy there he was like oh that's that guy there we're funny on the internet we talked about the same topic so generally if something bronx related popped up on twitter we both have comments on it and people really enjoyed the banter there from there went to a podcast podcast went to a tv show boom bang bing now we're on vice land we're in your homes four nights a week so summer school, I guess you guys were such good students, they wanted you there all year round. Yeah, all year, of all course. Year. Yeah. Couldn't leave. Actually, yeah, the worst the thing in the world is... actually is going to summer school for gym. I actually went to summer school for <laughs> for chemistry, for chemistry because I was not good at chemistry. But there's a lot of people that go to summer school for gym, believe it or not. Also, summer school is one of the few places you're guaranteed to have air conditioning in True. New York City. So yep. if you had to go to summer school, it wasn't the worst thing. Shout out to Lehman High School for actually having air conditioners. Because mm-hmm. I went to D. with Clinton High School, and they did not have air conditioners. Lehman High School you know by White Castle. Shout out to, shout to the Lehman Lions, my you know alma mater. 
Now, Desis, did you say you once picked up dead rats for a job? Did I hear that right? I've had almost every possible job a person can have in New York City. You can ask Meryl. Every day I come up with a new job that I've, <laughs> I've worked. I've had everything from high-level computer programming jobs doing encryptions for credit card transactions all the way down to collecting dead rats in a mechanic, uh, a car mechanic on Webster Avenue in the Bronx across from Twin Parks East projects shout out to king bear that's where that was the name of the mechanic shop what happened was an exterminator came through and laid out uh they had a huge rat problem when i say huge rat problem i mean numerous rats and also very large rats large rats that could kind of push uh toyota camry to the side when they were running and it was the middle of the summer the exterminator put down rat poison it was a huge it was like a warehouse and so it's 100 degrees we're in the middle of a heat wave and there's just this overwhelming stench of dead rats all over the place and the owner comes out with a compound bucket and a shovel. And he says, you need to find the dead rats around here. And I thought he meant there were two or three. By the end of the day, there were like eight dead rats. That was me. I got my bucket full of rats. And I went home. And that job aged me 14 years in one week. Now, <laughs> when you negotiate up front for that, is it by the rat or by the hour? Or it's is even, like no, t- here's, here's where I blow your mind. I was not legally supposed to be working that job. That was my father's friend from Jamaica owned that thing. There was no working paper assigned. There was like no W-2s. I was working off the books. And at the end of the week, he gave me $60. And I had been working from almost 7 a.m. to 7 p.m. Monday through Friday. And I walked off the job. I was so mad. I was like, I'm never coming back here, which was a huge embarrassment to my father because that showed I did not have the Jamaican work ethic. But I was like, I was not getting paid a fair deal. Turned out that $60 was actually for my bus fare for the next week. But even then, I had too much pride to go back. And I was like, I, I, I felt I had more to offer life than just picking up dead rats. And... I think me being interviewed yeah, could, at NPR I could see the it. garage owner, you know, saying, you know, what's the matter? You get to work with animals. Yeah. <laughs> I also, animals? I wanted to know what he was doing with the rats because he was like, don't put them in the trash. I have something else for them. So <laughs> he's, he's I don't know if he's selling them, if he was making furs. <laughs> Secondary market. Yeah. You're listening to Bullseye. I'm Jesse Thorne. Our guests are Desus and Marrow. What did you learn about how to be funny on Twitter or on the podcast? And... How does that translate to being funny in front of a camera? Uh, well, being funny, anyone could be funny on Twitter because you can sit in a dark room and not have to make eye contact with another human. And you father, can think about a tweet for 20 minutes. You can workshop a tweet. You know what I'm saying? Like, but to make the jump from being funny on Twitter to being funny on a podcast is one thing. To make the jump from being funny on Twitter to being funny in front of a camera is a whole nother. We're talking the difference between shooting layups in your driveway versus playing basketball on an Olympic level. And that sounds very gas. But what we do, it takes it's for us, it seems effortless. It seems effortless. But it's. Like, we've been doing it for so long, people forget that you're standing in front of a room full of people who are just sitting there like, all right, make me laugh. You know what I'm saying? Like, some mornings you do not have it in you. Some mornings you do not want to crack jokes. You just want to be grumpy and sit there. But you have to make the jokes. You got to listen. You got to make the donuts. And it's easy to do that on Twitter because you can have a bad day. You're not getting paid to tweet. But then to make a podcast and then do the podcast every week and be funny every week and not have a bad episode. And then to add to that four shows a week, you know, like... It takes some time. It takes a while to get into that groove and to have the chemistry we have to try to be funny. Like, not try to be funny, but achieve being funny almost 24-7, it seems like. You're working in a, in a genre and in a, a space that didn't even exist practically until you guys were, and along with some others, inventing it. I don't, with a media landscape, mm-hmm. 
broken up into so many little pieces. What what is success? How do you even measure it? Just making that. I feel like for. For us, like the success, we feel like we attained success like when we made that jump from like the internet to television. You know what I mean? And then, uh, you know, being now on this deal with Vice, doing a show that we're doing like, total, like autonomously, like yo, this is what we're doing, and it's it's never like a there's never any bickering with like production, like yo, we're gonna do this, we're not gonna do this. To me, that's success. Autonomy, getting paid a, 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 an amount of money that you think is worth what you're doing, and then just kind of make it getting to create on your own terms. Yeah. Twitter is not, you know, like a lot of people do not get longevity from Twitter or from going viral. Yeah. Like, ask, uh, what's her name? The werewolf mom? Was it the Chewbacca, Chewbacca mom? mom? You know, like, you can go viral with a hit once, yeah. do that again, do that three times, do that four times. We basically went viral and stayed viral. You know, it's not like we didn't accidentally end up on the Ellen show doing the nene with Hillary Clinton. So, um, do you go in with a plan? You must go in with a plan. No. Uh, there must be a sort no. of roadmap for the show. Or? The roadmap for the show is basically is is we get there in the morning, me, Jesus, and the crew on the show, Victor's chat to Victor Lopez, he's there, and we just it's literally we sit around and talk about what we were interested in that happened the night before or is happening right now, and then just kind of distill that into you know, a run of show that, that we then take and, and use, like, arbitrarily. Like, we could use stuff on there. We might leave some stuff out. But it really is just coming in in the morning, talking to a group of pals about shit that you're interested in and then making it into a TV show. And to call it a run of show is a, it's a bit formal because it's yeah, very loose. Yeah. It's like they'll basically show, tell us what assets they have available for whatever story we want to talk about. And there's not necessarily you have to use those assets. There's no necessary – there's no point A and point B. It's not like start here and end here. Yeah. We to talk about whatever, it's up to them to edit it. So we tried to leave it loose enough that it could be edited in any way. It doesn't have to follow any – we never say, okay, we're doing a Trump story, this story about kissing polar bears, and this story about a car crash. So it's very loose and it's very free flowing. There's almost it's not there's no thought to it, but we just walk in and we just kind of just record for two hours and the show is there. And the idea of research for the show that's kind of funny because there's almost no facts or any, yeah. it's like go with your gut. Yeah, facts don't matter. There's been some very clearly. Uh, uh, I want to. I want to. Don't say alternate facts. I want to say straight up lies oh. and slander have been stated at times of the show. But you know, it's instead with a good heart. So that's why <laughs> we can't be sued. <laughs> Well, you know, I was watching and um, you guys were talking about uh, Bob Marley's birthday. And it, mm -hmm. it was apparent to me that this had been a deeply researched subject. Let's take a listen. <laughs> Shout out to Bob Marley. He's been 72 today. That's right. Burned one in his honor. He was killed by the American government. Right. Yes, I said that about other people last week, but it's true for Bob Marley as well. They killed him so that white students at NYU could put a poster of him on the wall. And that's the only reason they that's killed true. Bob Marley. So go to every- I didn't fully ball. flesh out that theory, but I'm just throwing that out there. <laughs> Shout out to Bob Marley. He was a beautiful musician, great honor of Jamaica. And now all you guys think of him is a pothead huh? and dirty white kids with dreads. So- I mean, it's the most- <laughs> Yo. That, was that problematic or was that true? Yeah, it's true. You spleefing tonight when you're chiefing your keef. Uh. You pull out the acoustic guitar, you know go on mean? the quad. Take your shoes off first. Right, after the hacky sack, and you play One Love. You know what I'm saying? I forget, it was some protest in Astor Place. No, what's that? Union Square. And they were doing an acoustic version of One Love, and the whole crowd was singing along, and I was like, this is terrible. <laughs> this is this, I'm Jamaican, break it up. <laughs> now, Desus, you know, I, I really appreciated that you tried to do a little fact check on the fly. Was that problematic or was that true? You, you, 
you wanted to get down to the bottom of it. You know what? Uh, I want to say that's true for the sake of I have to teach these devils and talk about what's really happening. But no, that was, I feel like that kind of joke, if you're not familiar with our show, you'd hear that. And you're like, that's not funny. That's pretty much borderline racist. But once you watch the show, you kind of get the temperature of the show and the tone of the show. You realize that's clearly a joke. Like, I don't really think the U.S. government killed Bob Marley. Also, Jesus is Jamaican, so he thinks that he can just make up facts about Jamaican people, and you have to just accept Who, it. Who's going to check us? We have no fact board in Jamaica. There's no fact board in Jamaica. You don't need that. Ziggy Marley is the prime minister of Canada. Okay. Fact check that. doesn't matter. You don't. You can't. Even more with Jesus and Marrow still to come. Don't go anywhere. It's Bullseye from MaximumFun.org and NPR. This message comes from NPR sponsor, Fidelity Wealth Management. VP Dylan Sanders shares why it's important to understand clients' values. People quantify dreams differently. So it's essential to be able to sit with a client and listen and ask questions and just begin to understand what it is in their life that they want to pursue and help them create a roadmap to get there. To learn more, go to fidelity.com wealth. Fidelity Brokerage Services, LLC. Member NYSE SIPC. An officer pins a 16-year-old to the ground and punches out his teeth. But are there any consequences for the cop? For the first time, we take you inside the secret investigations that show how police protections in California shield officers from accountability. Listen to On Our Watch, a podcast from NPR and KQED. Hey folks, it's me, James Arthur M., host of Minority Corner, your home through these wild times for weekly doses of pop culture, history, news, nerdy stuff, and more through a BIPOC queer and allied lens. That's how you get Joel Schumacher putting nipples on Batman. Yeah. I didn't ask, like, and I say no. this as a gay, I say this as a gay man, didn't ask for it. I don't need to see <laughs> Batman's nipples on his suit. Who is this for? Who is this for? <laughs> I did a bunch of research. I wanted to just know about the history of black people in Argentina. So... Not only did they erase Black people from their history, they also started to flip and use it as slurs. We're not done. Like, we're not done with the work that needs to be done. And so stay awake. So join me and some of your new BFFs every Friday here on Maximum Fun to stay informed, empowered, and have some fun. Minority Corner, because together, we're the majority. It's Bullseye. I'm Jesse Thorne. If you're just joining us, our guests are Desis Nice and the Kid Marrow a.k.a. the Bodega Boys, a.k.a. Desus and Marrow. They're the hosts of the Showtime talk show Desus and Marrow, which you can catch Sundays and Thursdays at 11 o'clock, 10 central. This interview originally ran in 2017. They're being interviewed by our friend Ray Suarez, the veteran public radio journalist and native of Brooklyn, New York City. Let's get back into it. The, um, the local references. When... Fat Joe is is talking in like total surprise about hearing birds chirp in the Bronx. Uh, I'm laughing my head off because when I was a teenager watching Woody Allen movies and there's hardcore New York references and everybody, you know, I'm, I'm sitting in Manhattan. So everybody in the theater would laugh and I'd be sitting there thinking, how's this going down in Pepper Pike, Ohio? Are they laughing at this in Council Bluffs, Iowa? I don't know. Do they or do they laugh because they think that something's funny and they kind of get it, but they don't really. But it's kind of funny. Do you even care about that stuff? No, nah, not at all. I, I'm personally not at all. And I feel like people use context clues. 
I mean, it's it's comedy you have to work for. There's yeah. there's one level you'll get where it's just like I'm passively listening to this. This is funny. I get it. And you you know, there's some references you don't get, and I think that happens a lot with our podcast and the show. The first couple of times we'll make a reference to something, you're like, I didn't really get that reference. I didn't know what they. Were. You might turn on the closed captioning and you see something. You're just like. I don't know if that was a place or if that's a thing. No need for me to ever Google it or whatever. We might mention it again. And now in your head, you're like, yo, what is is that what a is place? Is that yeah. a thing? What the hell is a chopped cheese sandwich? So probably by the third or fourth time, you're like, okay, let me Google this so I'm really, I really understand the references they're making. And therefore, I can get a better appreciation of the humor. We get a lot of people who say, you know, I don't, I'll never go to East Tree. I don't know anything about Houston Street in New York City. But when I listen to... Your podcast, I feel like I'm on the two train. I feel like I'm on the six train. I feel like I'm walking through that terrible tunnel that connects the B and the L train. And I think that's another reason people like to listen to us because we definitely sound like we're from that New York that people wanted to grow up and move to. Not this new, gentrified, safe, like don't get stabbed yeah. in Times Square uh, New York that exists now. But the little scary New York that used to exist in the beginning of Law & Order when the cop cars were still blue. And yet... There are some people who romanticize that old, scary, terrible yeah. New York. Oh, yeah. Where, you know, which, is, over. which is funny because as people who grew up in there, that New York was not fun to live in. I grew, I remember as a child looking out the window in the Bronx and seeing constant fires every night back when the whole Bronx was burning thing was happening. And because I was so little and I did not understand, my father was a photographer at the time. So he'd go out and take pictures of the burning buildings. And in my head, I assumed my father was an arsonist. It was burning down half the Bronx <laughs> alone on his own. But I remember I remember in the morning, like, the smell of the fire, and we had a German shepherd, and we played in the rubble that a week ago used to be a six-family apartment building across the street from my house. You can kind of hear that gruffness in our voices and our stories. And also, I feel like the Bronx is the last borough, too. They're still kind of recovering from that part of its history. So there's still definitely that feeling of the old New York is still... When you talk to New Yorkers in the Bronx, they still have those memories. And there's still a lot of reminders of the old New York. It hasn't really gone anywhere. Can you see the change, though, finally sticking its fingers up from upper Manhattan across the Harlem River up into the Bronx now? Oh, yeah. you, it's mean, pretty terrifying. A little thing called the way. Piano District, yeah. which was also, it's also it was called Sobro, which is also, originally was South Bronx. Yeah. To, see, to go there and see like luxury condos and cafes on the street. And the sidewalk cafes on the street, and you're like, wow, this is great. Finally, the Bronx is on the rise. But then you see that these same stores and these opportun- what looks like opportunities for the Bronx are actually pushing very poor residents out of their own neighborhoods. The real Bronx is going to get washed away in just like overpriced condos and cafes. So you see it, and it kind of breaks your heart. But you can't. it's hard to stop gentrification. I always felt safe, though, in the Bronx, man, because like I always was— I would always like steal myself, like yo, the Bronx will never get gentrified because if it's it's lack of accessibility to Lower Manhattan and blah 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 and this because Brooklyn was ripe for the taking, bro. Because you could get from Brooklyn downtown in like a blink of an eye, but from like certain parts of the Bronx, man, it takes you forever to get into Manhattan and Brooklyn. So I was always like, man, we're good, we're safe, blah blah blah. But the South Bronx, yeah, they started to kind of like dip their toes in there and like that and. I, I doubled down on my, yo, the Bronx is safe, because I was like, yo, they're starting in the literal worst part of the Bronx. Like, the South Bronx is, is the part of the Bronx that, like, even people from the Bronx are like, yo, we going to a party over there? You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> word? <laughs> uh, who's going? You know what I mean? Do they have a weapon? You know what I mean? So it's like... Maybe somebody... it's time to lay off that the Bronx is really safe stuff. You know what I mean? Down. Let's, let's talk a little bit about... Um, 
culture, a little bit more about cultural references, because I, I got a real kick out of um, you basically taking the audience by the hand mm-hmm. and uh, you know, leading them along to something called Héroe Favorito. Héroe. Let's listen. Tu héroe. Yo, Middle America, understand something. Uh, They got with the wild dramatic acoustic guitar. That's right. America, the world is bigger than you, Iowa. I'm sorry. (laughs) We f*** with you, but we're bigger than you. And there's a lot of people that speak Spanish, and they need their own Drake. Romeo Santos is their Drake. You know what I'm saying? Who would be the white equivalent of Romeo Santos? Uh, The guy from Dashboard Confessional, probably. (laughs) Right? (laughs) So no. (laughs) What? Is that Kenny G? (laughs) Kenny G? Kenny G. So that was about Romeo Santos, obviously. Now, a lot of people probably haven't heard of Romeo or his original band Aventura. He's a singer. He's got Puerto Rican and Dominican parents. But when you use someone, you talk about someone in the show like Romeo Santos, you're taking a lot of the audience someplace new but you're kind of using the familiar to do it. Yeah, for sure, man. Listen, Jeff Sessions just got, uh, you know, activated as the evil leader, attorney general, and he's very anti-Dominican, and I'm the antithesis antithesis of that. You know what I mean? I'm very pro-Dominican. I'm very proud of my roots. I'm very proud of my culture, my heritage. So I just am blowing the trumpet everywhere I go. And uh, I feel like, you know, people... You know what it was? A long time ago, uh, a kid, this Italian kid came up to me, and he was like, yo, what are you? Are you are you black? And I was like, uh, I was like, I didn't even know what that meant because I'm like six years old. I'm like, I'm Dominican. And he's like, what is that? You know what I'm saying? Nobody. And he didn't even know what it was. So I'm like, all right. So I'm gonna teach y'all what it is to to be Dominican and have this swagger and this you know what I'm saying limitless flavor to to your whole being. Wow, <laughs> limitless flavor to your whole being. That's right. That's what we do. You know what I'm saying? I, but yeah, no. I mean, like, I think. Again, I'm Puerto like, Rican. I'm sitting here getting paler as you speak. <laughs> 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 but you know what it is. As a Puerto Rican, you already know. Like, you bring your culture with you from your, you know, your motherland, and you want to just put people on. You know what I mean? And if you're from Iowa, you have no idea who Romeo Santos is. Maybe you saw that episode, and then you went and you listened to some early Aventura, and your life has changed now. You know what I mean? And now you went and you bought an acoustic guitar, and you're working on your jams. You know, I I love how white people and the way you talk about them come off as like you guys are in a different country. So you're two Bronx guys sitting in Williamsburg, mm-hmm. which, let's face it, once you go out the front doors... Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but, oh, yeah. But Peter, they Peter are, restaurants galore. It's almost the way Margaret Mead talks about people in Samoa. Mm-hmm. You're talking about white people, like the, the way they talk and the way they live and the way they dress and everything else in America... Everything else in American, you know, cultural products is geared toward white people. Yes. Because that's that's, the default. That's like America's default is white people. You know what I mean? A lot of the controversy and like quote unquote complaints we would get in the beginning of the show were, why do you keep saying white so much? Why do you keep, everything out your mouth is white people this, white people that, white people this. And what people don't realize is a large portion of our show, a large portion of our show rather is it's a othering of white people. For ev- for example, on TV, you always see, sometimes even on Viceland, if you see black people, they're on TV with closed captioning, you know, captions, subtitles underneath them, or they're being explained, or they're being studied as this, oh, what do these people do? Oh. Like, how do they live? And when you come to our show, it's like, no, we are the default people in our universe. Yeah. You guys are the other, and now we're going to study you, and we're going to do to you on this show 
what you guys do to us on maybe 99% of the other programming on TV. And it's just so jarring for people because people are just, like, even, quote, I'm going to use a problematic term here, even good, good white people, good East Coast liberals, they get offended at the show because they're like, I'm white and I don't do that. Why would you say that? And it's just like, Bro, if, damn, if it doesn't apply to you, what are you getting yeah. upset for? If it don't apply, let it fly. You know, like, don't, like, is it that jarring to, and people write, and they're just like, you know, it was my white privilege. I had to check it because I was getting, I, you know, it was honestly bothering me. It was certain things you were saying was were bothering me. And I'm just like, why is this bothering you? And if you take it at face value, it seems just like a lot of cursing and hip hop and two guys from the Bronx. When you actually break it down to like the bone, you know, the bone marrow, this, it's a pretty intelligent show. We try to be intelligent and talk about smart things in a smart way. Yeah. Desis and Marrow from 2017, interviewed by the one and only Ray Suarez. Our thanks to Ray for interviewing them. You can catch their extremely funny show, Desis and Marrow, Sunday and Thursday nights on Showtime. Their podcast, The Bodega Boys, which they are still doing, drops every week. That's the end of another episode of Bullseye. Bullseye is created in the homes of me and the staff of Maximum Fun in and around greater Los Angeles, California, where thanks to a bit of late night sales spotting, I bought a truly absurdly huge monitor. I mean, it is like, I basically feel like I am working in a, a, a scene in a Tom Clancy movie set in CIA headquarters. The show is produced by Speaking Into Microphones. Our producer is Kevin Ferguson. Jesus Ambrosio and Jordan Cowling are our associate producers. We get help from Casey O'Brien. Production fellows at Maximum Fun are Richard Roby and Valerie Moffat. Our interstitial music is by Dan Wally, also known as DJW. Our theme song is by The Go Team. Thanks to them and to their label Memphis Industries for sharing it. You can also keep up with the show on Twitter, Facebook, and YouTube. We post all our interviews there. I am on Twitter at Jesse Thorne. And I think that's about it. Just remember, all great radio hosts have a signature sign-off. Bullseye with Jesse Thorne is a production of MaximumFun.org and is distributed by NPR.